The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing good today. Uh, man, it was frosty this morning when we got out. I was up there and going, wow, here we are. And the, the good thing about that for me is that doesn't the grass slow down if it gets frosty? So I'm kind of excited about that part, I got to be honest. But um, hey, I want to take a moment and... and um, Last Sunday, celebrated my birthday, and uh, it was, I was trying to, I don't know, it's just a weird thing. I just want to say this, though, um, for all the cards and different people, gifts and stuff like that, um, I, I, I did take the time to read through every single one, and um, honestly, man, the generosity is, is awesome. It really is. It was wonderful. But I think part of what was super, super meaningful really was just the, what was written in, in so many of those cards, just... Um, you know, I want to be the best, you know, person I can be and love Jesus and, and try to be a, a great pastor. That's always my goal and stuff. But man, you guys are just so kind. I just want to say thank you a ton um, just for being so kind and so generous towards me and, and towards my family. But um, it, it was really a, quite an experience, I guess. I always just say, hey, don't my birthday, just forget it. But anyway, um, and so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> Also, we'll mention that uh, my daughter's birthday was Friday, and she turned 16, and um, so that's going on, and she got her license on Friday, so it was so weird. Some of you have already experienced this, but some of you haven't yet, like when your kid gets in the car and drives away for the first time without an adult in it, I'm like, oh my word, here we go, you know, and um, I didn't get it on video. I'm a bad parent, I suppose, but I didn't get it on video. I literally just waved like, this is that moment. Bye, have, you know. Have a good time. Now, I am impressed because we, we, we got her a car that's a five-speed. And so, so she drives a stick. And when we first started with it and we're teaching her, my first thought was we're going to have to get her a different car. Um, but man, she picked it up quickly and, and does really well. And I was super impressed. And I always feel like, I don't know why, but I feel like that's a good skill to maybe have. And so she's out there driving. And um, I can give you her license plate number and all that stuff. And you can let me know. Speed limit, paying attention, not on her phone. Not on the sidewalk, you know, all those things. But anyway, um, she's, doing, she's doing great. Uh, anyway, it's so weird. It's so crazy. Um, we're in a series called What's Your Deal? And what we're doing is we're taking a look at the book of Colossians. It's a, a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he had never been to. And last week we started the series and... and so if you missed that, I encourage you to listen. It was kind of a lot of backstory in the history of, of kind of where we get this book and stuff. But today we're going to go ahead and, and jump in. And if you got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn there in Colossians in the New Testament. If you got a smartphone with the Seahawks app, you can go ahead and close that and open your Bible app. And I know some of you guys are like, so don't, don't, don't be like, yes, you know, don't do that. Or like, no, so, because we'll probably know. Unless you have a jersey on for another team, then do whatever you want. But um. So Colossians is, is where we're at, and I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and jump right in and just start reading. And the reason I'm going to read is just to kind of get our heads wrapped around it. Oh, let me take a second, though. One of the I, I did give some homework last week, and so if you were here, one of the things I asked was, let's all make a decision to read through the book of Colossians three times a week um, for the next five weeks, because that's how long we're going to be in this book. And I'm going to go ahead and ask, and I know some of you are like, I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I just want to know, like, did you read through Colossians three times this week? How many of you guys did the homework? Raise your hands. Okay. All right. So some, raise your hands high. Come on. Be proud of it. All right. How many of you guys read through it two times? How many of you guys read through it one time? How many guys thought of the word Colossians like once? So, okay, hey, we're getting some mileage there. Anyway, I want to encourage you for a second. I'll take a step back and say this. If you didn't do it, I encourage you to jump on now and, and go ahead and make, a, make it a point. It's only four chapters. It won't take you super long, but I really want you to read it. 
um, you know, start to finish in one sitting three times this week. And again, continue to do that for the next bunch of weeks for a couple of reasons. One, as we talk about it on a Sunday and as you read it, I think you're going to pick up some of the themes and pieces and how it all goes together because sometimes we read the Bible and it feels like they're saying this and now they're saying this and now this, and I don't know what that's about, but I think it'd be good for you to do that for the whole theme. But second of all, and, and probably more importantly, um, when we look at the scriptures, we read the Bible, I really believe the Holy Spirit does a certain work that some of us, I think it would be good to, to understand maybe a greater discernment, an ability to, to better know like how we should live and how we shouldn't and the things God does want and, and sort of doesn't want. And I think it, in some ways, it, probably not the right way to put it, but almost awakens the work of the Spirit in us that we all really need. And so I encourage you to, to go ahead and do that. And again, if you didn't do it this week, for whatever reasons, that, that's okay. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I just think it's really important and encourage you um, to do that. So let's go ahead and I'm going to pray and we'll go ahead and, and start reading here uh, Colossians 1, 1. Lord, today I am grateful for all that you provide. And when we look at the scriptures, when we read and, and, and realize a lot of what's behind what's going on and we kind of see the themes and stuff that Lord, I just believe for all of us, it's part of discipleship. It's part of the work of your spirit enlightening us and, and, and quickening us to, to make the right decisions, to hear Lord, that whisper of your voice in our lives and stuff. And so I pray for that to begin in, in incredible ways to happen, especially for many God that, that are here and they're, they're followers of Christ that are new to this thing and working on it last month or two or three. God, it's such a fun journey, but it's a challenging journey and it takes discipline and, and, and work at times, not because we have to, but it's part of, I think, the outflow of the joy of learning that relationship with you more and more. So I pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, ver verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God, our father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard about your faith in Christ and the love uh, and, and, and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as uh, it has been doing since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, and I talked about him last week, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Now, this is, by the way, right here, we're going to get to verse 9. This is a great way to pray, and Paul writes it out. This is a great way for you to pray for others as far as their maturity. If you have kids you're praying for, or family members, or somebody you're praying for, God, help them mature. Here's, I love how Paul puts this, and this is also a great way to pray for yourselves. But listen to this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the kingdom of his saints, uh, in, the king, see, in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. Now, I'm going to really dive in here as we get to verse 15. And, and like I talked about last week, that Paul was so adamant about describing the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a big reason. And it had to do with people that would come in. Paul would preach about the way, or Epaphras in this case, taught about the way in this church. And it was established and, and they were learning about Jesus. But then false teachers began to come along and say, you heard about Jesus, but let me go ahead and add to that. Let me tell you that it's not just about, you know, Jesus and grace alone, but let's add to that special revelation and wisdom that you really have to have, or let's add to that strict spiritual disciplines, which by themselves, by the way, aren't the worst things. But if that's where we get some aura of spiritual pride, Paul says that is terrible. And that's not walking in truth. And people were saying that other people were talking about this idea that you believe in Jesus, but here's a religious system where you can add to Jesus. And so Paul is going to get really, really into who is Jesus. And the reason this is important today is because for you and me, there are all kinds of ideas about who Jesus was and who Jesus is today. There are all kinds of people that talk about that he was a great teacher or he was a prophet or, or he, he had a gift of healing or he taught with authority and that's great and he was a good man and he loved people and all those things are great, but there are all kinds of people that would go, yeah, I don't know about this whole Jesus as the savior thing, the Messiah thing. I don't know if that's really the forgiveness of sin. I don't know about that or, or you know, Jesus being God himself. Yeah, I'm not so sure. And there's a lot of different things going back 2,000 years that people have to say about Jesus. So Paul is passionately trying to clarify who is Jesus. And so here's where we're really going to get into the meat of the message today. Verse 15, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." And what we have here is the building of a theology about who God is, which also dispels, or who Jesus is, which also dispels who Jesus is not. And I want you to notice that when he talks about, he's, he's you know, the image of the invisible God, uh, for him all things were created, and uh, through him all things were created, he's before all things, in him all things hold together. This gels with the idea that Jesus had everything to do with the creation miracle when we go way back to Genesis, that Jesus has always existed. And you need to understand that because, again, people will say that Jesus is the Son of God, but Jesus is not God himself. And there are huge groups of people that believe that, and it's not true. Jesus is God, and this is part of the text that helps us understand that. You parallel this with John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Write that down if you're taking notes. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life 
and this life was the light of all mankind. The light pierces the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So that parallels with what Paul is saying. So John, the disciple, writes that about Jesus. That parallels what Paul has to say in Colossians about the identity of Jesus. Hebrews, again, taking notes, write down Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 paints a similar picture. Let me go ahead and turn there real quick, and I want you to hear this. In the past, Hebrews 1.1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, capital S, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, okay? I'm gonna fast forward a little bit, but, but Paul now, is, or sorry, the writer of Hebrews now is gonna compare the angels to who Jesus is. And so he says, for which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. But I wanna fast forward to verse six. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You go back now to the Old Testament, and when it talks about worship, what we learn about worship is God alone is to be worshiped. Nothing else, no one else, no other idea ought to be worshiped but God himself. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding those that are followers of Christ that Jesus is on par with God himself. And so he goes on and look at verse 8, but about the Son... Same word there, capital S, son. He says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and your righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. And this is quoting out of, out of Psalms here, this idea that Jesus is God. The writer of Hebrews is equating them on the same parallel in authority. He also says, Hebrews 1.10, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They'll wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. So what I want to help you understand today, and it's more theological than anything, but as followers of Christ, you hear this idea or you understand this, we're the Trinity. And we talk about there's not multiple gods because there's not. The Bible over and over says there is but one God. And the best way that, that theologians have figured out to explain it is what's called the Trinity. That word is not used in scripture, but it's our, basically our English word for describing who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're the same, but they're distinct in function. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is part of where we understand Jesus being on par with God. Now, let me continue. There's a point when you look at John chapter 8, and if you're taking notes, write that down. John chapter 8, verse 53, Jesus performs a miracle, and the crowd is marveling and amazed, and the religious leaders are like, he's got a demon, you guys, this isn't good. And Jesus is like, I don't have a demon. And they begin to talk about Abraham. And so John 8, 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? What's your deal? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. 
My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. I love how he's just blunt. Don't beat around the bush. I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it in mind's eye. He saw it and was glad. And here's their response. You are not yet 50 years old, they said, and you have seen Abraham? Watch what Jesus says here, because this is super important. Verse 58 of John 8. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, the reason that that's such a big deal, and it happens multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus putting himself on par with the great I am. If you go back to Exodus, I believe it's chapter 4, and here's Moses, and and this encounter with God that's like crazy and wild, and, and Moses says, who are you? How do I describe you if I'm trying to tell people about you, and what is God's response? I am. I am that I am. And you're like, well, what does that mean? And theologically, and here's a comment out of the New Living Testament Study Bible, uh, this definition, a God who is self-sufficient, self-existent, all-encompassing, and without limitations, the one being in the universe who is not dependent on something else for existence. Jesus, in this text, is going back to that encounter in Exodus, declaring, I am. And that's no small thing, which, by the way, that would lead to them becoming more furious and wanting him killed even more so, okay? Now, let me continue on and remind you, in some of the prophetic texts we have, there was a, a promise that was given uh, about a, a virgin birth. And in Matthew 120, excuse me, in, in sorry, yeah, Matthew 123, which is quoting Isaiah 7, I know if you're writing this down, your pencil's probably running out of lead, anyway, Matthew 1.23, we're reminded that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. It means God with us. It's, it's, it's that prophecy from Isaiah 800 years before Jesus ever came around. Okay, Another thing happens in Isaiah chapter 9. And it says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, what? Wonderful counselor. And and remember that phrase, by the way, wonderful counselor, because we're going to come back to that and talk about the Holy Spirit in a second, okay? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Who? Right, Jesus, this prophecy is about the child that will be born and those will be his titles. It goes back to that Jesus is not simply the son of God, below God, another God, not quite on par with God, but he is God, okay? And so we, we have all, and there's so much more, but I gotta stop there just for time's sake. But, but it, it goes on that all of this points to, to Jesus being the Christ that was 100% human and 100% divine and the one who paid the price for all of our sins. Now, let me go back to Colossians 1, and it says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, and that's all of us, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body 
through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul brings this up with description because he's reminding the church at Colossae, your salvation is through the work of Jesus Christ alone. And do not add to it, even though others are trying to add to it, don't let that happen. Don't add to the gospel. Okay, sidebar. When Jesus writes, sorry, when Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia, okay, Galatians, that region, when Paul writes that letter, he talks about the gospel. I'm so surprised that you're leaving this gospel and coming to another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And then he says, if anyone adds to the words of the gospel, let them be eternally condemned. That's a huge deal because Paul is constantly defending who Jesus is and what it means for you and I to live in the wonderfully free, incredible grace of God. That's where you and I exist. Not receiving the message of Christ and then working to somehow make God happy. Not receiving the the work of Christ on the cross and asking forgiveness and then having to feel like we have to have certain spiritual revelations or some proof of, of, of strict discipline in order for God to love us. Paul says in Ephesians, another letter, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so Paul is saying, you've got to not tie Jesus to all these other things. You can't do that. You're free in him, period. And then he says this, this is the gospel that you heard. And I've proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, am a servant. And now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in all of its fullness. Why does Paul say all that? I don't even know what he just said. But the reason Paul talks about this idea that he's suffering for the gospel is because over and over in Paul's day, those religious leaders that were perverting the way would skip into town, teach something that was not the pure gospel, and would leave town not enduring any persecution because they didn't want to. They didn't want to go through the car. They didn't want to have to pay any price. They weren't willing to even stand toe-to-toe with Paul to debate because at times when that did happen in the book of Acts, they lost. He explained it, and they couldn't refute him. And a lot of people in the crowd went, you must really know the way. Tell me about it. And people got saved. And so here these guys are. And Paul's going, I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to suffer for this thing. They're not willing to. Doesn't that tell you anything, you guys? That's what he's saying. So then he goes on. He says, this is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now disclosed to the Lord's people. Here's the thing. Okay, verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Everybody say Christ in you. Okay, I want you to focus on that for a second. Because here's the thing. You hear in church world all the time, and I've said these types of things, but I want to help you walk through this. We talk about how what Jesus did is pay the price on the cross for all of our sins. He was buried, and he rose from the dead, and Paul describes that as defeating the final enemy, which is death. We don't have to fear death if we're in Christ because our eternity is sealed. Okay, great. But here's the thing. When we hear that message and open ourselves up to the gospel, 
When we say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my Lord. Paul would say that that is the mystery that, and we take it for granted, that is the mystery that for thousands of years that the nation of Israel was asking. Who's the Messiah? When is he gonna come? What does the Old Testament say about it? What are the prophets saying? Isn't he supposed to come from Nazareth? Won't he be born in Bethlehem in, in Judea? Isn't he supposed to go down to Egypt? Isn't he gonna be born of a virgin? How's all this gonna work? And they didn't know who it was. And even when Jesus came on the scene, not everybody could identify it, which is why later on he's killed. But you and I take for granted it's Jesus. We sit here and go, it's Jesus. The answer is Jesus. But you gotta remember for thousands of years, they were pondering, who's it gonna be? When are they coming? How do we know? And so here we are and we know it's Jesus, but I love how Paul says it this way. It's Christ in you the hope of glory. Because when we hear the message and respond, we're literally inviting Jesus to live in us. And that's what we talk about all the time in different spiritual phrases about, you know, Jesus in me, Jesus guiding me, Jesus working in me, Jesus transforming me. It's that Jesus lives inside of us. Now, we've seen that Jesus is God in the flesh. And and I just mentioned that Jesus lives inside of us. But here's the question. What did Jesus have to say about that? And for a moment, If you're taking notes, write this down. John chapter 14. In in John 14, and I'm going to read a bunch of this, but listen, Jesus is saying this to the disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, so how are we going to know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know uh, my Father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is basically going like this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These words I say to you aren't just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Listen, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Okay, now he's gonna get more clear about I'm going to the Father. Listen, if you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Isaiah chapter nine said, and he will be called, what was the first phrase? Wonderful counselor. So the savior is the wonderful counselor who's also mentioned here where Jesus says, I embody have to go to the father, but when I go, I'm gonna send the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. The spirit of truth, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And then I'm gonna fast forward just a little bit. He says this, Jesus in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. 
My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then verse 25 through 27, all this I've spoken while with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Do, uh, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The big picture of this idea of the Trinity, it's hard to wrap our heads around sometimes, but you gotta understand that over and over as you look at the whole of scripture, Jesus as the Christ is on par with God himself. And this picture of the Holy Spirit being the wonderful counselor that was sent to live inside of us is God himself. And I know that that doesn't seem, what's the big deal with that? But there are all kinds of groups out there that don't believe that. And it's such a core to our theology because there is only one God and really no other way to describe it when you look at the whole of scripture. And I've only picked uh, some of, there's so much more that we just don't have time to get into it. But, but let me get into this, okay? Verse 28 of Colossians 1, he's the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And then I'm gonna fast forward just a little bit today for the sake of time. He says in chapter two, verse six, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it, and here's a warning, that no one takes you captive through empty and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness, capital D, of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Today, in the world that we live in, I tend to see that when people talk about Jesus, but, but don't look at the scriptures necessarily, or only a cursory look at the scriptures, Jesus was a great man. Jesus was a moral teacher. Jesus was a prophet of some sort. Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus taught with authority. Jesus, you know, loved people. And those are great things. But I want to use a quote from one of my favorite books, Mere Christianity from C.S. Lewis. And I love this because I believe this helps answer people that will say, Jesus is a great guy, but I'm not so sure about this whole, he's God and he's a savior kind of thing. And I want you to hear this and I'm going to end here real quick. This is C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and call him a demon and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I say that because, again, in the world that you and I live in, there are all kinds of people with all kinds of opinions. And most people that, that maybe come from a place of a lot of ignorance would say, I believe he was a historical figure and he taught a lot of cool things. He taught a lot of cool things like he's God. If I was standing up here going, hey, guys, thanks for being here today. Just so you know, I'm God. You'd be like, freak. <laughs> but that's C.S. Lewis's point. There are people that say all kinds of erroneous things about who Jesus is. And Paul, with every bit of energy he can muster, is trying to clarify for a church, don't be deceived into minimizing who Jesus is. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the one who paid for our sins. And by the way, if you want that today, and you want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and you want a fresh start, and you go, I don't know this spiritual conversation, kind of where I'm at or whatever, maybe you hear what I'm saying today, and you've never invited Jesus to be your Lord. You've never invited him to forgive you of your sins. I want to challenge you to take that step today. And if you have, and you go, that was a while ago and I've done my thing and it didn't really kind of take or whatever you want to say, you want a fresh start today and you want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I'm just going to ask you in a second here on the count of three just to raise your hand. And I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads and I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I want everybody to see if you raise your hand, great. Awesome. Because I do believe it's the best decision you could ever make. But let's be honest, it takes guts to say yes to Jesus in a world that says that's not who he is. So if you're in here and you want a fresh start today, you want a clean slate, you want Jesus to forgive you of your sins, I'm on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Where are you at? Awesome. Keep your hands up. You can put your hands down. I believe the number is exactly 20 people that just said, hey, I want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life, which is awesome. Here's what I want to do. First of all, if, if you raise your hand today, I'm going to ask you to do something logistical. I'm going to ask you on the communication card to mark it on there because as a church, we have steps that we would ask you to take because we think it's important not just to do that, but to, to continue the journey. The second thing is this. I want to pray with you. And if you raise your hand, pray with me. And if you've prayed this prayer before, just pray along with us. Okay, so let's just close our eyes now. Just say, Jesus. Thank you for who you are, that you are God. You are the Savior that paid the price for all my sin. Forgive me for all my sin. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I want to follow you, and I'm grateful today for a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you give a hand to 20 people who just said, hey, I want to do that? Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the worship team to make their way up, and I'm just going to pray one more time. Um, I've tried to convey it as clearly as possible. My hope is that you can wrap your head around it, and if you're in a life group this week, I'm actually excited for some of the conversations you're going to have, but let, let me pray, and then we'll uh, kind of make a transition here. God, today, it's, it's, there's a lot kind of going on, and, and, and I hope I can explain it really well, but Father, we just surrender today to you, this time to you, that God, we can better understand the value of, of looking at what you have to say and what, what Paul wrote about who Jesus is and how important it is in a world that it becomes diluted, where Jesus is one option among many, where, where we add spiritual truth from that area and that area into this Jesus thing, and that's kind of where I get what I get. Or for some, that, that it's a strict discipline thing, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do that, and that means God's happy with you. Whatever it, we, whatever it might be that we believe that isn't right, 
God, I pray through this journey in Colossians, there would be a, a newfound joy, a newfound freedom, a relationship that that's what you desire with us. Not a one-time prayer, that's a great step. Not, not one teaching that went, wow, the light bulb came on today, but literally a relationship where each day we're learning, where each day we're processing, where we're taking on reading Colossians, where we're thinking about what you have to say that it challenges how we live because what we believe affects how we behave. Thank you for your work in all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.